following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on January 31st, 2021, on the basis of Jonah 3, verses 1 through 10. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. If you are standing in front of a noisy room and you want to get everyone's attention, what do you suppose you should do? Your instinct would probably be the same as mine, which is why I am convinced I am not at all cut out to be an effective classroom teacher. It's easy for us to think that in order for us to get people's attention, we need to raise our voice. But if you've ever watched a teacher standing in front of a room full of noisy kids, you've maybe seen, the good ones at least, get everyone's attention, not by raising their voice, but by lowering it. Maybe even by being silent altogether. In fact, when we hear a noise that's incredibly loud, what do we do? We cover our ears, right? But if we hear a noise that's, that's very soft and faint, what do we do? We stop everything else that we're doing. We lift up our ears and crane our necks. We tell everyone else around us to shh, just so we can hear. Today we're looking at this story from the book of the prophet Jonah, and it's a story that you've maybe known all the way since the time you were back in Sunday school. But had that Sunday school been a, a Jewish Sunday school, and had you heard this story read in Hebrew, your ears probably would have detected two words in particular that were making a lot of the noise that you were listening to. One is the Hebrew word gadol, which is usually translated great. The other is the Hebrew word ra'ah, which is usually translated evil. The word gadol is used 13 times in Jonah. The word ra'ah, evil, is used nine times in Jonah. And considering the fact that the entire book is just 48 verses long, that means that almost everything in the entire book is either great or evil, or in many cases, both. In fact, you maybe, maybe remember the story. The Lord sent Jonah to a great and evil city called Nineveh. Jonah hopped on a boat going in the opposite direction, which caused God to send a, a great wind that caused a great storm. The other sailors on the boat viewed this as evil, and so as a result, they were greatly afraid. Jonah was eventually thrown overboard, which of course caused that great fish to swallow him up and spit him back out on dry land. And when Jonah finally went to that great evil city of Nineveh, he told them to turn away from their evil so that God would not send the evil that he had planned. You get the point. Of course, it's not just Jonah's world where there are a lot of things that are great and or evil. Those two words and words just like them contribute to a lot of the noise that we hear in our world today. In order to get your attention, just about everything these days is described as the greatest this or the best that, the most important this or the most significant that. And of course, it's not the positive things, the pleasant things, the warm and fuzzy things that we like to describe with oversized language like that. No, it's the evil things. It's the terrible and the awful things. It's the things that get us all riled up and full of anger, the things that cause us to want to lash out with our words or with our actions. And so in a world 
where there is so much noise already. If God wants to get our attention, or if God wants to use us to get the attention of somebody else, what do you suppose he should do? Contrary to what our instincts might tell us, God does not raise his voice. Instead, he does just the opposite. He gets our attention through a message that is distinct, through a message that is different from everything else that we might hear. In fact, so much so that God can deliver it to us, not by getting louder, but actually by getting quieter. As we look at these verses from Jonah chapter 3 this morning, we're going to see that in a world where everything is evil and oversized, God lowers his voice to get our attention. As I mentioned, God sent Jonah to the city of Nineveh, which was both great and evil and pretty great at being evil. In fact, they were known for the fact that anytime they conquered a, a neighboring city or a neighboring kingdom, they were just brutally and ruthlessly violent with those people. There are some ancient manuscripts that have survived where a king from Nineveh is bragging about the fact that he has just painted the tops of the mountains red with all of the blood from all of the people that he has slaughtered. There's more in those ancient manuscripts, but not all of it is exactly G-rated. So this great evil city of Nineveh, and of course God would want to stop all of that evil just as soon as he can. And so what did he do? Did he send a great and powerful army? A great and terrifying angel? No, he sent someone who is described in this book, not a, a single time as being great, he sent Jonah. In fact, as you heard, he sent Jonah twice. He was patient enough, not just with Jonah, but even with the city of Nineveh, to send the same prophet twice. And when Jonah finally went, what was the message that God gave him to deliver? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. For as great and evil as they were, God gave them a chance to repent and he gave them time to do it. So imagine a, an employee who spends all day every day at their computer, not getting work done but playing solitaire. An employee who at the end of every single day lines their briefcase with company supplies that they feel they can make good use of at home. An employee who is constantly sexually harassing his female co-workers, an employee who is insulting and crude to clients, an employee who always parks in the boss's parking spot each day and then goes home and badmouths his company on his social media profiles. And so the boss calls the employee in and says, that's it, I've had enough, you're fired. If you don't stop all of these things that you're doing within about the next six weeks or so, God wants to get the attention of the people of this great and evil city of Nineveh. And so what does he do? He doesn't raise his voice. He sends one teeny, tiny, little prophet. He gives them a chance to repent. He gives them time in order to do it. God gets their attention by lowering his voice. God is quiet because he is slow to anger. And friends, God still gets our attention in much the same way. As I mentioned, it's not just Jonah's world where everything is oversized and evil. There's a lot of things in our world that are very oversized and very evil. And as a result, we also live in a world where the calls for justice, even the calls for vengeance against all of that oversized evil, are very often swift, 
and are very often very loud. Someone does the wrong thing. Someone says the wrong thing. Someone thinks the wrong thing. What do we do? We fire them. We shame them. We shut them down. And some might even argue that that's the right thing to do, the just thing to do. That's the only way that we can keep as many people as possible from from getting hurt. I'm not even going to dispute that. I'm simply going to ask, what would happen if God were to deal that way with us? What would happen if God would take this approach? I am going to make sure that everyone, each and every one of these human beings, gets exactly what they deserve. I'm going to make sure that anytime someone is causing hurt or pain in someone else's life, I'm going to stop it, and I'm going to stop it as soon as I possibly can. How do you think that would go? Do you think you'd make it through the coming week? Instead, just as he did with the people of Nineveh, God gives us time. I'm guessing that the last time you made someone cry, there wasn't a a lightning bolt that zapped you dead on the spot. I'm guessing that the last time you pursued your own gain at the expense of someone else, the earth didn't open up and swallow you whole. Instead, God gives you time, and during that time, he still speaks. Not with a a megaphone that everyone can hear, not with a, a public platform that everyone can see, Instead, even when a fellow Christian observes something evil that you've done, maybe even a a great evil thing, do you know what God tells that Christian to do? He tells them to come and talk to you about it privately, just between the two of you. Yes, he wants you to repent of that sin. Yes, he wants you to turn away from that evil. But he lets you keep your dignity. He lets you keep your job. In a world where the calls for justice and vengeance are swift and loud, God gets our attention not by raising his voice, but by lowering it. He is still very, very quiet because he is still slow to anger. Eventually, of course, that comes to an end. Eventually, we must turn away from our sin. Eventually, we must repent. Eventually, we must do exactly what the people of Nineveh did. Well, maybe not exactly what they did. You see, out of all the oversized things that we find in the book of Jonah, the reaction of the people of Nineveh to Jonah's message probably belongs right at the top of the list. We're told that after hearing Jonah preach this message for just one day, the entire city, from greatest to least, believed what Jonah said. And so what did they do? All of them began to fast. All of them put on sackcloth. And then, when Jonah's message reached the king, the head of Nineveh, he made it official by telling everyone that this is what they were supposed to do. Fast, no food, no drink, everyone wears sackcloth. Men, women, and children, even sheep, cows, and chickens. All in the hopes that maybe, just maybe, they could convince God to not carry out the evil that he had threatened. The reaction of the people of Nineveh certainly wasn't oversized, or certainly was oversized. I'm not sure that it was perfect. If we were to to do a study of everything that the Bible says about repentance, I'm not sure that what we see here would, would fit that description perfectly. For starters, it's just people that need to repent of their sins. Animals don't have to. 
Second of all, we don't have to make our repentance as big and as oversized as we possibly can to convince God that we are sincere. No, God, of course, knows what is in our hearts. And finally, we don't have to make our repentance as big and as obvious as we can in the hopes that somehow we can convince God to forgive us. God is already convinced. He's the one who invited us to repent and gave us the time to do it in the first place. So how do you suppose God is going to react to this oversized but imperfect reaction from the people of Nineveh? What do you suppose God would do? Well, it seems as though the prophet Jonah was curious to find out the answer to that very question. In the verses following these, we're told that he found a nice high perch just outside the city. And from that perch, he looked over Nineveh to see what special brew of destruction God was going to be pouring out on that city to get them and to give them what they deserved. So what did Jonah see? Nothing. Absolute silence. God spared them. God relented. In fact, in, in, in spite of the fact that their repentance was imperfect, God did not raise his voice. Instead, God again got their attention by lowering it. God was quiet because he is quick to forgive. And again, God still gets our attention in the very same way. In a world where the calls for justice and vengeance are often very swift and very loud, so also the demonstrations of sorrow over sin are also very loud and very oversized. Whether or not someone is ever going to be given a second chance, whether they're going to be shown any mercy at all, whether there's any hope that they can earn their way back into the public's good graces is often directly related to just how sincere, just how vocal, just how intense their public groveling over their sin really is. And again, I would only ask, what if God were to deal with us in exactly the same way? We come to this place each and every week to receive forgiveness from our God. But what if God were outside standing at the door every time that we walked in, not to ask us a, a series of questions in the form of some COVID screening test, but to ask us a bunch of questions in the form of a repentance screening test, to make sure that we were really sincere in our sorrow over all the sins that we had committed? What if each and every week we didn't get to hear the absolution, that announcement of God's forgiveness, unless every single one of us was absolutely sincere with every single word of the confession of sins that came just before it? And not a one of us drifted off in our thoughts for even a single second. What if that petition in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, was only answered with a yes if we were able to enumerate every single one of those trespasses for God? What if we were only allowed to come up to the Lord's table to receive Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins if we were as eager to sit at that table as we are eager and willing to wait for a table at our favorite restaurant? What if God dealt with us exactly the same way? Instead, God is very quick to forgive. It's almost as if he is already looking down his scope. He's got his crosshairs aimed directly at our souls and he is just waiting for the opportunity to fire another round of his forgiveness 
in our direction. When it comes to his anger, it's almost as if God takes this approach. Ready? Aim. 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 Wait a little bit. Aim. Aim. Wait some more. But when it comes to an opportunity for God to give us some of his forgiveness, he has an itchy trigger finger, as they say. He is very quick to forgive in spite of how imperfect our repentance might be. And there's a reason for that, of course. There's a reason our repentance doesn't need to earn God's forgiveness. It's because Jesus already has. It's because Jesus, who actually compared himself to the prophet Jonah, believe it or not, Jesus was given his own special perch, high outside of another set of city walls, another city that was almost as great and almost as evil as the city of Nineveh. And on that day when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, that great and evil city of Jerusalem was spared, just like Nineveh had been, only Jesus was not. The time for patience had run out. The time for mercy was over, at least in Jesus' case. Instead, it was just the unbridled anger and judgment of God aimed and fired squarely at the Son of God. And because that is the case, God can treat us the way that he does. He can be slow, really slow, in showing us the anger that we all deserve. And he can be quick, really quick, in giving us the forgiveness that we don't deserve. In a world where so many things are evil and so many things are oversized, God gets our attention by lowering his voice. He gives us a message. He makes waves in our ears and in our hearts with a message that is different and distinct, a message that shows us how slow to anger and how quick to forgive he really is. Of course, it's not just our attention that God wants, us, that God wants to get. As I mentioned, God also wants to use us to get the attention of others. That's what he was doing through the prophet Jonah. And you heard how Jesus told those four fishermen to follow him, but then he sent them out to fish for other people. You heard how Paul said that God has taken people who have received God's reconciliation and made them ambassadors of that reconciliation to others. So in a world that is as noisy as ours, in a world where so many things are oversized and so many things are evil, if God wants to use us to get the attention of someone else, what do you suppose we should do? I get the instinct that tells us that in order for us to be heard, we need to raise our voice. There are so many oversized and evil things in our world today, and it's natural to want to call attention to those things in as swift and as loud a way as we possibly can. I'm just not sure we're going to get anyone's attention by doing so. We're certainly not going to get their attention in terms of of helping them hear the message that God wants them to hear most. Instead, God has proven that he can and will make waves in people's ears and in their hearts by lowering his voice, which is why his plan is still his plan. He sends teeny tiny people like us, not to convert some large, great city like Nineveh. Instead, he sends us to that one co-worker, that one neighbor, that one friend, that one family member. 
And he sends us to, first of all, be really good at listening and trying to understand and giving someone every benefit of the doubt to demonstrate that our God is slow to anger. He sends us to that person also to be very quick, to speak words of kindness, words of grace, words of, words of mercy, and words of forgiveness to demonstrate just how quick our God is to forgive. That good news that God sends us to share isn't the loudest thing in our world and will never be. It's not a message that's going to go viral. It's not a message that's going to make national headlines. But in a world where everything else is so oversized and so evil, it might just be the one thing that can actually get someone else's attention. Amen.